Mind Crime Liberty Show with me, Swithin Dobson, and him, Tim Patton. Today we discuss McIntyre versus the Marxist left. Um, as you may or may not be aware, Alistair McIntyre is the author of After Virtue, uh, which is a very interesting uh, work. McIntyre was originally a Marxist and then turned Aristotelian and then ended up being sort of like a, uh, a Catholic influenced by uh, Thomas Aquinas. Um, so, yeah, he's, he's a quite an interesting uh, guy. Um, Tim. So today I'd like to sort of defend why I think McIntyre ends up being one of the best critics of Marx and Marxism on its own term. And I want to point out that McIntyre himself is not an anarcho-capitalist libertarian, and he would be critical of it. Although I think anarcho-capitalist libertarianism, although that might be utopian, there's some more conservative versions are less utopian anyway. But Marxism, and I think McIntyre is of line that it being somewhat bankrupt, or all modern moral theories being bankrupt. That aside, that aside, and I've been sort of trying to figure out how to beat sort of win in a theoretical argument against the left. I think McIntyre is one of the best critics of the Marxist left. Um, because if you take – and what, I, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take his argument. I'm going to add some things and strengthen out some things he's made. Um, now, maybe that's a sort of folly, folly thing to do. But uh, I tend to think in practice many people on the left, um, as Charles Murray and David Brooks point out, live right and think left. But theory, again, remains a problem. The left in debates will often bring up this or this or that bad event from American, English or German history um, when debating or any society in the West. I'm going to get to definitions in a little bit. Um, I'm going to lay out definitions in a little bit. Um, but they think that they bring up bad events from history. And, you know, they'll say, what about the enclosures or what about slavery or what about this or that genocide? Um, and, and oftentimes when libertarians engage in debates, they'll say that no property, all the property titles are unjust or all the, you know, they'll even say more radical things like the existing governments are unjust, but they're not necessarily full anarchists here. So uh, and my TLDR argument is if the history of the West is the way the left says it is, you know, we never tire of hearing about slavery, xenophobia, racism and so forth. Um, why would this society bring about what they call the revolution or the utopian. Um, and I think McIntyre really zeroes in on this or sort of the bankruptcy point. And he's quite charitable to the Marxists, probably much more so than he is charitable to Nozick um, later on. Um, and I, I would like Swithin to read what to me is a, a comment near the end of it. I think it's in the it's one of the end of the chapters here. Um, and and um, he really goes into sort of the, the bankruptcy Marxism. So Swithin, could you read that, please? Secondly, as I remarked earlier, but Marxists moved towards power, they always tend to become barbarians. Here I was, of course, speaking of Marxists at their best in, say, Yugoslavia or Italy. The barbarous despotism of the collective Tsardom, which reigns in Moscow, can be taken to be irrelevant to the question of the moral substance of Marxism as the life of the Borgia Pope was to that of the moral substance of Christianity. Nonetheless, Marxism has recommended itself precisely as a guide to practice as a politics of a peculiarly illuminating kind. Yet it is just here that it has been of a singularly little help for some time now. Trotsky, in the very last years of his life, facing the question of whether the Soviet Union was in any sense a socialist country, also faced implicitly the question of whether the categories of Marxism could illuminate the future. 
He himself made everything turn on the outcome of a set of hypothetical predictions about possible future events in the Soviet Union, predictions which were only tested after Trotsky's death. The answer that they returned was clear. Trotsky's own premises entailed that the Soviet Union was not socialist and that the theory which was to have illuminated the path to human liberation had in fact led into darkness. Marxist socialism at its core is deeply optimistic. However, for, however, thoroughgoing its criticism of capitalist and bourgeois institutions may be, it is committed to asserting that within the society constituted by those institutions, all the human and material preconditions of a better future are being accumulated. Yet, if the impoverishment of advanced capitalist societies uh, is so great, whence are these resources for the future to be derived? It is not surprising that at this point Marxism tends to produce its own versions of the Ubermensch, Lukács' ideal proletarian, Leninism's ideal revolutionary. When Marxism does not become Weberian social democracy or crude tyranny, it tends to become Nietzschean fantasy. One of the most admirable aspects of Trotsky's cold resolution was his refusal of all such fantasies. A Marxist who took Trotsky's writing, last writings with great seriousness would be forced into a pessimism quite alien to the Marxist tradition. And in becoming a pessimist, he would in an, all imp an important way have ceased to be a Marxist, for he would now see no tolerable alternative set of political and economic structures which could be brought into place to replace the structures of advanced capitalism. That quote to me is one of the best outlines, because as I just stated, if you get into any debate with the Marxists, they'll, the first thing they'll do is, and I've always thought this was strange, and I'll see this with Sam Cedar, I'll see this with Ben Burgess, that whether or not they actually are Marxists, they're just socialists, and I'm, um, is of some question. And they'll always point out that, like, oh, look at America, none of the, none of the properties are just, okay? None of this is just. All the institutions are defined by various isms and whatisms and so forth. If that is the case, if any, if that is the case, if advanced capitalism, again, I know Murray Rothbard would say that we're living in advanced in a capitalist society, and that's true. That's in a, in a way true. But I don't think that sort of subtracts from the point necessarily. But they identify this society as late capitalists and poverty. Yet they're the ones making the claim that um, out of this we're going to get to a revolution or we're going to create a better world out of it. I don't know where they're going to get the resources from. They go on and on about how unjust um, various property, historical property distributions schemes were. Um, they'll bring up various enclosure acts again. They'll bring up various other acts that happened in there, uh, you know, the theft here or there and so forth. I'm with, before I continue, I'm going to find a few terms. Again, I use the word West. Um, 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 the West, or more broadly, you can, you, you can narrow or you can broaden. It includes U.S., Britain, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Germany, France, Italy, Austria, and probably Russia. So we're pointing out again that the Soviet Union, Trotsky society itself, was part of historical Christendom of some variety. So again, if Christianity is a religion of patriarchy and xenophobia and racism, um, then that's the historical that the entire Cold War happened by their points. In a society that, that is predominantly all those isms. And furthermore, furthermore, you could also use another word to describe the West, which is white. Uh, what, I mean, this is venturing off the reservation somewhat. Um, um, white gets a lot of work out of the way. I mean, the modern day left, as I just described, uh, use this word all the time. They will first say that it doesn't exist, but then they say that whites are the root of all evil of some sort. 
Um, again, to point out that Mark's angles, Mark's angles, Zizak, uh, Kant, Hegel were all, by modern standards, that word or Western. I mean, Zizek himself will say the heritage of Europe is Marxism. Um, and again, take the Washington Post definition too. Instead of using the word West, you could use white. You could just say, well, this this, this actually includes Japan, South Korea, Singapore, um, um, who now are like LARP as sort of white Westerners or look toward them. Um, and again, if you take demographic data seriously, uh, South Korea will be a Christian country at some point anyway. Um, so my argument, which I'm making the term to say the West, most of the actual events that the left talks about happened in societies that are part of it. Um, so the, so the, the bankruptcy of late capitalism is true in the Soviet Union, is it true in the United States, is it true in Germany? Um, there isn't some sort of ideal or Britain, there isn't some ideal um, untouched society out there. Um, um, but I'm going to get back to my argument here after terms. I don't want to get too bogged down in terms. But if this phenomena, as described above, which I will call the West, is so rotten, um, and mainly about all these various isms, what, 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 how can they actually create a better society from this rotten society? I mean, Sam Cedar will just get done explaining how terrible the origins of, or the 1619 project gets terrible explaining how the origins of the United States are, or Britain are, is. And then they'll, then they'll make the claim that we can actually create a new society, which is better. Now, whether or not it is as bad as they say it is, is of some question. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, if you take, there actually are a lot of just property acquisitions throughout the United States. You know, the um, Manhattan was sold for beads, but land was super abundant. William Penn bought much of where current day Philadelphia for perfectly legitimate reasons. Um, horses came, but those those sort of empirical arguments are totally forgotten. And of course, the Aztecs, Han, Chinese, and Ottomans weren't particularly nice um, or liberal or Marxist for that matter. Um, and again, Keith Preston has this great article, which I encourage everyone to read on Attack the System, called Marxism is Alien to Me as Christianity, written by an Indian, indigenous native, an Indian. And then Marxists treated the indigenous people quite poorly. All those things aside, you know, we'll just zero in on you know, what, what flies as capitalism or what the left calls capitalism. You know, they're the ones who think that we can create a new society out of this sort of rotten society. So actually, a person like Neil Ferguson or your sort of standard American patriot or English paper has a better um, has a better case to make for creating utopia. I mean, Neil Ferguson has a book why why Britain made the modern world, uh, why the British Empire made the modern world. It's it's the, I mean it's somewhat of a neocon book. Um, and actually, Christopher Hitchens, you know, when he when he advocated for U.S. U.K. to invade Iraq, um, he was doing it precisely for those reasons. Um, and Christopher Hitchens has an interesting thing about um, nihilism. Um, you know, if the left thinks that the Taliban is actually superior to um, um, their own society, in a way, in a way, in a way, they're again, they're these specters of pessimistic Marxists. You know, there's what used to be the specter of state department socialists. I think the specter of pessimistic Marxists is a strange specter. Um, um, in a way, I'm just I'm just implying um, more holistically the class analysis, which most left wingers interpret as ad hominem. Um, um, you know, if you make any, you know, a movie that I always found was interesting. Um, one, I know some people on the 
the right, the, the traditional right won't like it, but is the Hunger Games. And one of the things a lot of Western audiences don't get is that they are probably living in, in the capital city. What most people like Bernie Sanders, Jeremy Corden, Ben Burgess, Marx Hegel, they were all of the richest societies. If you take class analysis seriously, um, the real class divisions are between developed and undeveloped societies, which is why Marx advocated for international revolution, not local ones. It was, it was changed somewhat. Um, so I'm just sort of implying it more holistic. Of course, they always interpret this as ad hominem. Um, um, and actually, that, that itself is somewhat irrelevant because, again, that's the second part about, you know, virtue, um, um, which is another of McIntyre's key topics here. But 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 the 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 degree in which um, the impoverishedness of the current existing society. And actually, this is one of the interesting things about the pan-anarchist Keith Preston. Um, he's, you know, he's he's so in some ways also pen, uh, pessimistic, but he doesn't really think, you know, you're going to build some revolution out of from from the from the Bernie Sanders movement. I don't, I, you know, but again, he he, in my view, correctly, uh, you know, he he'll dispute it, but in my view, when his enemies call him right wing at times, I think actually in a way it's true. Um, um in a way it's true. Uh, but but nonetheless, um, you know, for all the hostility. Uh, that that is directed at sort of you know traditional United States, traditional Britain, traditional Germany, traditional whatever. You know those are the um, those are the ingredients they which they want to create a new society. And I just don't really I don't really see why. Um, you know it's worth pointing out most left wingers work in universities in America and the elites so to speak. And they are you know many universities were set up to Christianize the natives or um, were set up uh, as states as land grant universities on native grant. And again, go back to Christopher Hitchens' comment on Chomsky. You can call a school Sequoia, Sequoia or Cherokee or whatever, but it's just an empty gesture. Uh, and the emptiness of the gesture, it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't do anything. All right. So there, there's not going to bring about a revolution here. And this is where we get the sort of neat new phenomena called woke capitalism, um, which I mean, actually Zizek again points out is that the woke capitalists in a way are, are capitalism profiting off you know, a sort of phony revolution. It actually, actually, if I get cynical enough, I actually sort of, in a strange sense, like, I think it's hilarious, you know, that Raytheon uh, paints various slogans on its uh, air. You know, th that, that to me is hilarious. Um, um, that's going to make it even stronger. So this comes back to sort of the specter of pessimistic Marxism. Um, um, I don't, you know, the, once, considering how critical they are of the existing society, um, I, I, I find it highly unlikely that a revolution will come. I mean, the third worldist might make it a good argument, although Western ideas have sort of in a way went around the world anyway, um, um, in some ways or another. You look at the conflict going on in Nigeria, the conflict between Islam in the East and Christianity in the West. Um, it's not a, com there's no, you know, the, the in, in a way it's gone everywhere. Um, Islam is tricky. And the Taliban are interesting. Um, the Taliban in some ways are very older society, as Rene Girard talks about. The Taliban can rule Afghanistan and Iraq, and they actually can do it quite well. But I don't think you confuse either of them with feminism or liberalism. Now, I'm not saying that as an insult to the Taliban. And again, again, actually, the North Korea is a kind of monarchy of a sort, bizarrely enough. It's kind of the worst version of a monarchy. Same way with Napoleon, he's an interesting figure as well. He's in one way, he's a Republican. In other ways, he's sort of genociding emperor. Um, um, so, so, 
Aswetha, what do you make of my comments on the phenomena of pessimistic Marxists and the likelihood of a revolution happening in the West if if the West is so rotten and terrible as they will um, routinely state and never stop reminding people on the right they are about various topics from land to um, the existence of institutions? Aswetha? It's difficult. I mean, basically, uh, if you take the, the the problem is if you take the Marxist views consistently, they have to apply the sort of the existence of the bourgeois logic on all the bourgeoisie, uh, which basically includes themselves, because in almost all cases, uh, the Marxist revolutionaries have been in the upper middle class of societies. Marx uh, was obviously one himself, Engels. Um, Lenin was far from a relatively poor family, at least in the time in, in Russia. Um, so the question arises, why is it not the case that um, their criticisms apply to themselves? And, and so effectively what they need to say is that we're, somehow um, they've sort of escaped the herd and they can observe the herd as to how it's behaving and then sort of inform the herd of how to uh, revolt. Now, let's suppose they can do that. Then there's a question is, well, why would one expect the um, the sheeple, as it were, uh, to be of good revolutionary character? Um, which, again, is is not obvious as to why they would, because if they've been infiltrated by all these capitalist ideals and etc., you know, why are they going to start forming worker councils and um and syndicates and um, try and um, revolt and form a new utopian society, that would seem um, somewhat odd. Unless, of course, they would say that actually um, the working class eventually will somehow share its false consciousness. Now, as to why they would share their false consciousness to a large extent, it doesn't explain, unless it's just a case of, well, they will recognize the, the truth when it is presented to them because they'll see it in their class interest. And then, you know, we can start from the bottom. That's probably the best um, kind of argument you could use. Um, but even so, once anybody of the uh, working class um be, be gets into positions of some sort of power as a leader of or well yeah effectively a representative of certain councils or other sort of um post-revolutionary positions you know what is to stop the them acting in their own interests in the same way as the ancien regime did in france or the um or the capitalist class of the 19th century. It would seem that the traditional uh, Marxist um, critique of uh, those sort of institutions would equally apply to whatever institutions were, were ever realistically going to be created. Um, so I, I just don't see how on the Marxist terms, even if they don't apply it to themselves, that they can somehow uh, get these institutions, unless, of course, it's just a case of, 
well, we're an elite. We're better than all the other elites that have existed. If you give us power, we'll create utopia. I suppose that sounds, might be the position um, they hold. Can I, can I cut in here? Yeah, that yeah, sounds yeah. like um, that sounds like a Nietzsche and Ubermensch here, um, which is one of the chapters Nietzsche or Aristotle. Um, but I want to sort of backtrack to that question, ask it better. Um, what do you, with respect to the structure of society? Because the Marxists will say, "Oh, we should take the, we don't hate the person, we hate the system, or we hate the class system." Um, um, now, forgetting them themselves, we'll just take their analysis as a kind of a black box. You know, the U.S. government was founded by, you know, three quarters, I think three quarters of the founders of the American Revolution were slaveholders, I think, or something like that. Um, Britain, of course, I imagine you could find a list of atrocities some kings did with respect to the left of some sorts. You know, these are the societies that they want to, you know, have the revolution happen in. Um, you know, the structure of the existing society is quite impoverished. You know, Jeff Bezos owns more than whatever uh, and so forth. You can make a long litany of terrible things. They'll always list them. And, you know, what are the odds of the structure of society actually being formed if it's as bad as they say it is? What do you make of that? That's with them. Well, it's I mean, it, it's just highly unlikely to, to happen. I mean, why? How would we expect the alterations to take place? How how are the sort of structural um, changes required to uh, bring about this position when there's all these sort of inequities? I mean, it's how how on earth are is is that going to be possible? If it is the case that you you hold the sort of economic determinist. Marxist view. Now, that said, you could then claim, well, you could take a a sort of position of, I suppose, with respect to political power, associated with like, you know, well, David Hume mentions things similar, whereby, well, really, all the power rests on um, implicit sort of acquiescence. Well, no, on, acquie- on the acquiescence of the majority of the population. And so if the many decided just not to um, not to um, comply, then there could be a revolution. But that doesn't seem to me to sound tr- like traditional Marxist analysis, because then you're not you're outside the scope of sort of economic determinism. You're you're almost you're sort of getting into a more of a ideas driving history rather than uh, economics, which isn't um, traditional Marxism. Um, with respect to the view on the current society, one of the odd features I noticed, and this is actually, you know, this is why I think McIntyre is good, but I think he's being slightly unfair or not taking seriously um, his argument. Um, one, one of my most interesting books, I think, is The Conflict Divisions Point. Um, and I made this point in the Why the Left Won't Abolish the State episode we did as well. Uh, uh, the conservative or the reactionary or the paleocon or the paleolibertarian or even the neoconservative in a way, at least domestically, has a much smaller vision. Um, they're not going to try to reinvent the property system or the family or or the firm. Um, um, but but so the, the the sort of traditional patriot and McIntyre talks about the values of traditional patriotism in in one of his chapters himself. Um, he he does of course in some ways virtue signal toward the left in a way um, um, at times. Uh, but but all things considered, 
Oftentimes, the traditional patriot who likes his society, who's not constantly sort of bashing it and you know saying it's terrible, um, um, they sort of in a way have a claim to create a better society or at least go back to a better society um, or or go or sort of take certain elements of the past and create a better society or create a society that's equally as good and pass it on. McIntyre is a point about uh, chess. You know, you want to pass on. You know, you play the game of chess eventually, but but the whole community advances along. No one cheats, and he makes this analogy of morality. You sort of pass it on. Um, uh, you pass it on the future generations. Oh, hopefully, as good as condition as it was, if not better, to the future generations, so to speak, as you tie it to the past. Um, the current, some of the current reactionaries seem to dislike the current society, but at least the, they at least claim to like the past of some kind. The Marxists, the further they go back in the past. They seem to actually hate it more until you get to sort of like hunter gatherers, but then that's sort of strange society uh, anyway. Um, and it, you know, and maybe they idealize certain periods. What do you make of that line of argument and McIntyre's comments on patriotism? Go ahead. Um, I would agree with, with respect to the reactionaries and, and, and the Marxists is that. Um, Broadly speaking, you could say that the reactionaries are generally fond of the past or the pretty recent past. And it is interesting that the only sort of societies historically that the Marxists um, will uh, treat well are are the hunter-gatherer societies, probably because they had they didn't have the same uh, concept of land ownership in particular uh, because they're hunter-gatherers of nomadic. And so they never sort of permanently circumscribed any sort of areas as theirs for like perpetual use uh, over a time and so um, the what is interesting so the the original sin as it were in the Marxist view is sort of uh, probably agriculture everything was kind of okay before then that was the golden age of hunter-gatherers whereas for the reactionaries well depending where you you go but economically and sort of socially it's most well depending who you talk the proper reaction is probably the industrial revolution um and then the normicons is the 1960s but that's boring um the genuine sort of society change really cuts it hits in with sort of like the industrial revolution and that's where you know you still have the sort of the societal effects of of, of those changes um so I think that's where the left and the reactionaries sort of diverge with their sort of historical uh, perspectives, which I think just make it um, somewhat different uh, in their way of looking at things, even though they may have sort of similar uh, critiques of the current society. Obviously not on the, the reactions and the cultural issues in the same way, but economically to some extent they can. Um, could you just remind me of your um, McIntyre question? The McIntyre question is with respect to tradition. Um, one of the elements of Marxism seems to be a break from tradition. Um, and, and if I think if I think I understand McIntyre's argument is that virtues can really only be passed on through tradition of some kind. And they sort of throw away the virtues, which is why he, he views Marxism as sort of a Nietzschean in practice. A lot of the common aspects of it just becomes sort of a Nietzschean will to power fantasy, which is why you get the year zero experiments and things like that. Um, now, of course, McIntyre would criticize anarcho-capitalists for doing the same thing. I admit some of them do that, which is funny enough, it's the left 
end caps that do that kind of stuff anyway. Um, but what do you make of that line of argument that McIntyre is making there with respect to tradition um, and the sort of break from tradition they want to have? Oh, yes, certainly. The, the, the Marxists are more self-consciously uh, reinventing society. Uh, and that is very much a, a, a break from tradition. The reactionaries will have taken things like family, business, and say, as you say, the traditional virtues, thrift, hard work, etc., as given and as good. And what we need to do is just sort of what we've effectively got with this sort of reactionaries is we have a garden, but it's overgrown and we just kind of need to kind of trim it and sort of, you know, get it back into good order. We've got sort of a garden, whereas the Marxists don't really see anything as natural in the same way. It's more that everything is an artefact. And what you kind of have is maybe hmm, I think a good analogy. But it's it it's almost as if I guess it's a, it's a pretty stupid example, like a playground for like kids. They just go, oh, it's 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 a bad playground. What do we do? Oh, we just need to bulldoze it and start again. There's no sort of like something there that's permanent, which is sort of like being molded to one direction or another. It's just like we should start again. Um, McIntyre's point about virtue is interesting. I mean, it, it really goes back to sort of um, a, and a, the question of how do you become virtuous? Uh, how do you become sort of like a better human, whatever whatever you mean by better in this context? And in a lot of the time, it's imitation. You learn from somebody else. And then the question, well, then of course you get a regress problem. Um, but practically speaking, um, you know, who do you learn from? You learn from your parents, you learn from these other people, etc. And so these sort of virtues are kind of passed on. Um, but if you're trying to sort of reinvent um, society from the beginning as a conscious break, then you kind of have to you have to create the new values. And again, the new values is like a, a difference of theoretical system which is kind of like the new playground there's nothing really that's there beforehand that we're trying to use and sort of refine it's just we need to start afresh um so in that respect i do think um the marxists uh do that and and mcintyre is correct on that point i wanted to divorce the social democrats probably not Marxists. I mean, Keith Preston debated two of them recently. You know, Sam, C, uh, Ben Burgess, and someone else. I forget his name. Um, but you know, there's some question of like always with categorization here that it's sort of on-running problem of all discourse analysis here. I mean, of course, Chomsky famously calls the Soviet Union right-wing phenomenon anyway. Um, so, so maybe the tankies are actually right-wing anyway because, according to Chomsky's definition, the Soviet Union was right-wing. And the tankies think that Mao and the Fidel Castro are uh, worth defending in some ways. Um, all those problems aside, um, the point with respect to, I think, virtues, the imitation point, um, which sort of mirrors Rene Girard's point in, in, in his triangle thing, uh, I, I've yet to see I've yet to see these sort of year zero phenomena come through. You're always going to sort of imitate um, some aspect of the past in a way. It's somewhat inescapable. Um, you know, one of the thing, interesting comments that Zizek made is that um, Zizek, Zizek was actually complaining because anytime something bad happens in Africa, you'll always bring out some Belgian or British or German policy from the 1800s. 
Um, you know, and even and even even when they do bad things, they'll say it's actually an inheritance from the whites. Right. So the so, so I find these arguments to be hilarious. Um, so even when even when Africans do evil, um, uh, they uh, you know, it's actually it's, it's actually all whites fault. Now, that that's that's with respect to them. Um, um, but but even but more domestically, I don't see how any uh, escape, which is actually why the third world is make the point that the sort of Western working class is not revolutionary. Um, now, third worldism is a non persona. It's not it's not allowed to be brought up in certain circles, um, um, and which is because it's probably because they're just social democrats um, uh, in actual practice, which in some ways is a good thing, as McIntyre points out, because it just would become crude tyranny. Or uh, some sort of Lenin's ideal project. How do you get there? We well, should have to make a total complete break, and I've yet to see the ingredients to make a complete break. Maybe if you found like the the the, the Singalese, which is sort of an isolated group, you could turn them into a sort of perfect Rousseauian fantasy. Maybe, but these sort of existing societies, I don't know. I I don't see where you get the energy or the the the, the attempt to do it. And I see this sort of imitation point about the virtues, and a lot of virtue imitation is good. Uh, you know, you know, McIntyre praises, you know, like the sort of historical Jacobins, interestingly, um, viewed that um, uh, productive work um, um, was good. They did not want um, people to wear long. Uh, they did not want people to wear uh, long beards, uh, the absence of beards. Um, the beards were associated with the Ancien Regime. Um, so they had standards. And again, in some ways, interestingly, the societies actually sort of pulled a Marxist revolution in name. Whether they were in theory is another question. They actually had to sort of take and co-opt certain virtues of the, the past um, in a way, and in, in particular in the military as well. Uh, that's another area where, um, you know, the, you know, I think Stalin had actually go into sort of traditional Russian patriotism, I think, to win the uh, Second World War. Of course, the, the Americans and British helped by sending them lots of money. But but the, all those all those sort of historical points, I want to go back to theory here, uh, which is my second question. Um, what is Marxism relationship to um, Aristotelianism or the idea, the, the idea insofar as you use humans as somewhat teleological and predictable phenomena um, in a way? Uh, because, you know, if humans will, and that's the sort of human problem, if humans, humans' wills are just sort of fundamentally irrational, which I think is human's claim, and that's another point that McIntyre Parks points out, it sort of makes the sort of table of Values that they sort of want to create, uh, sort of infinitely fungible. Um, um, what, what is the relationship between Marxism and sort of, you know, Aristotelianism? So within this is more in Derby Hill House. I'd sort of like you to sort of um, make some comments on this. Well, Marxism is, well, I wouldn't say Aristotelian as such, um, but it certainly has the teleological um, element which really disappears um, in the early modern period, mainly when um, Newton comes along with um, his physics and everything is sort of like matter and motion. So the idea was that there was nothing really in reality which was going in a particular direction. You know, it was just all matter in uh, motion, whereas Marx is like, no, 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 there is a shape to history um, that it is going somewhere. Although, to be fair, I mean, the way um, this is sort of inheritance of Christianity to some extent, 
um, where you get to like the weak theory of history, you know, the progress and we sort of um, and you're going to get secularized views of sort of the millennium, which you could argue Marxism actually is as well, really, in that respect, um, that you could immunitize the eschaton, as some people like to write. That is, you basically bring sort of like what is sort of the future heavenly state onto earth now. You, you bring it here and now. Um, and that, I think, is certainly true uh, with respect to um, Marxism. Now, whether it's Aristotelian, it's only got the teleological aspect. Marx, though, will treat, although what he does do is Marx is sort of like treats people as a particular class who, by of their nature of being a member of this class, will act in a particular way. Um, but again, it, it that's all rooted into sort of like the, uh, the economic substructure, which ultimately drives everything. Um, but 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 the, the, that is a sort of an Aristotelian-like approach, insofar as well, you, you basically treat members of particular classes as a, a separate substance, and by being a different substance, has different sort of inherent tendencies. Uh, so in, in that respect, you could say that Marxism is to some extent Aristotelianism, Aristotelian, sorry, although. It's sort of, I think, a um, bit far away from that. I mean, the obvious link is is Hegel uh, when it comes to sort of Marxism um, and sort of like the uh, thesis and synthesis synthesis sort of moving through. Although I remember people claiming that was never really in Hegel, but anyway, uh, that has is typically attributed to him. Um, and you you have these reactions and uh, react counter reactions which then produce a synthesis and then eventually this will reach um a, a status of perfect end state that's not really aristotelian in itself but the tendencies of certain things in the world they generally have that rather than just being based on will as some sort of independent or capricious manner is to some extent interesting so i, I think that's a, a broadly fair position the teleology point and the sort of viewpoint in history, I always thought was strange um, coming from them. I, I, I still, I, in this regard, I, I am somewhat of an anti-teleological thinker in a way. I think certain events can happen for no particular reason, just because sort of a motive reason. Although I'm not the best at defending certain theories about that, um, partly because it's sort of like an anti-theory in a way. Um, if you're trying to explain, if you're trying to explain why something you're trying to explain that things happen for no reason with a reason. It's sort of a kind of contradiction in a, in a way. Um, um, but I'm just going to move out of this and sort of um, approach the, uh, the, the sort of the second part, uh, which is more the Marxist view on man. I'm going to sort of circle back to this question here. Um, uh, the 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 one of the things I like about McIntyre and one of the things he brings up the Homeric societies in a number of his chapters. Uh, now, again, he makes the point that they may not have existed. And I'm somewhat skeptical of the sort of Aristotelian ethics myself. Uh, but I don't I'm not I'm not against them, uh, partly because they don't have much power in our world in a way, uh, except, except in your, like actual like power. Um, um, so so maybe I'm just going to get get rid of the existing thing. Um, but the view of the man they have is also quite 
interesting. You know, the virtues of McIntyre are something to be attained, to be better, or to be good. It's something you just have to work toward. Um, and actually, in Homeric societies, this just people would force you in a way to do it. They were also class-oriented societies. You know, nobles had certain degrees. People were owed certain things were owed to people, um, um, uh, and so forth. Uh, you know, to bring about, and this is a point that Thaddeus Russell made about in his argument with Michael Brooks, to bring about socialism would require a lot of virtue or meetings or work. Uh, you could use one of those three words. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, and that's actually one of the comments he made in this freedom of slavery. Um, that sort of like Roman patricians had to like work to maintain the position. Same with Jeffersonian patricians as well. Um, they should have to work to pertain position. Same way with Jeff Bezos in a way. Um, and that like, you know, organizing, you know, and McIntyre is the line that absolute power co-ops absolutely. Um, and, you know, and so forth. So, so like maintaining the revolution or getting there requires virtuous man of some kind uh, who is courageous, who is, you know, uh, has a certain kind of prudence and hard work. Um, and in a lot of ways, they just undermine these virtues uh, at certain areas. Uh, 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 they don't think you should work hard. They think you should rebel. Uh, they make, and they make claims that in the future, you won't have to work or everything will be, you know, everything will be perfect. You'll, you can fish in the morning. And again, some people actually might be able to do that uh, in a way, thanks to technology. So maybe we could set this society up and it's a perpetual motion scene. Once you set it up, it's all good and going. But setting it up is going to require a lot of you know, work, virtue, or uh, skill of some kind. Uh, what do you make of this point here with respect to man? Uh, you know, the, the whole point of virtue access is that you attain something that you don't have currently, which is related to Christianity in a way, too. Swithin? I would I would agree. I mean, this is a similar point that um, Todd Lewis makes about the the current uh, left in general that they are really not the sort of revolutionary character. If you go to the sort of early 20th century, you know they were serious. You know they 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 organised properly. They were relatively ascetic. They were wanting to bring the revolution. They were very diligent in attempting to bring it. You know that needs like fortitude, diligence bravery, etc. you know, these virtues that you require to then bring around um, the sort of utopian. Although I suppose um, this gets into some conflicting sort of Marxist positions as to what the the, the utopian society will look like. I, I suppose you could distinguish between those who have a stronger view on scarcity and those who don't. Those who don't, more of a cultural left, would be like, well, yeah, we might need virtues to get in there, but we can lose them when we are in the perfect state because, well, you know, you don't hard work and diligence because it's a land of plenty and land flowing with milk and honey. Whereas those who realise, well, actually, you know, society, you know, um, resources are, you know, scarce and, you know, even in the socialist utopia, there's not going to be absolutely ev ev enough for absolutely everybody all the time. So you're going to kind of have to work and produce. Um, if you held the former position, then, you know, the Marxism and the utopian society could, could probably continue. But as soon as the virtues were were removed, then there's nothing to stop sort of like just standard naked egoism taking place and people shirking, etc. Um, 
you kind of have to have some discipline to, to keep it there you know if the man shall not work he shall not eat uh, attitude otherwise you know there is no way the um, social society can can continue i would agree as well um and you know there was a comment that you know there was there's some there's some utopian community and interestingly enough the cupboards were locked um, um and this actually occurs even with um within Hutterite communities. I was sort of uh, reading up on them, and sort of one of the critics want someone made of them. Hutterites are sort of a Christian group of the Anabaptist sect. Um, now they 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 perform it very much so. They sort of have a paradise. I don't I'm not criticizing them um, in any major sense. Although I, I, I don't think I don't think I, I think most people, if they were positioned in Hutterite society, would be worked to death very quickly. Uh, uh, you know, based on the hours they work. Same with the Amish and so forth. Uh, or sort of traditional Catholic communes, but one of the things they they locked the cupboards, uh, or, or that was in the socialist utopian. They locked the cupboards or the food cupboards so people could couldn't get to them during the day, which is sort of an interesting interesting point to be made about the sort of nature of man. Um, um, again, this goes back to my earlier point that you know McIntyre, of course, would, himself says he's a critic of capitalism, um, but within capitalism is the idea that man's motives are. You know, if man's if man is virtuous and great, then why do we need a government or uh, you know why do we need a government? Why do we need a revolution anyway? Um, um, if man is so great, or is this, I mean, man is the one who creates the structure of society after at the end of the day, or else it's just natural scarcity, which we can do our best to change. Uh, and I think the industrial revolution actually did a lot to change it in our favor. Although of course the left doesn't think so. The left thinks you know they they, they take this sort of environmental Malthusianness uh, 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 toward toward it um i think that it's um i mean actually made it worse off we'll bring up climate change and all these other all these other factors or uh you know biodegradation and so forth um all those things withstanding um the sort of the the virtues in creating a society remain key and you can't if you're going to create a society like that you again you can always get there and it's just a perpetual motion machine but getting there remains a problem and i don't see it I don't see it in, in in the existing stock of them. Um, um, and if anything, they're somewhat runaway. Not all of them. I mean, I'll be fair to Ben Burgess, Sam Segoe. They'll debate people. Um, but uh, you know, if you sort of dig into their theory, uh, are they really are they really Marxists with a capital M or just social democrats? And like again, the existing United States is you know as they point out, is areas of slavery. <laughs> you know, if you want to take a 1619 or whatever project or whatever view of American history, over gory view of English or American or German or Italian history, we want seriously. Now, I like the West's history. Now, I visited Athens twice. I think Athens is beautiful. I think the Greeks were very interesting. I mean, the American founders modeled their system of government off the Greeks and say, and even the, the Oliver Cromwellians, they viewed themselves Old Testament prophets in a way, as McIntyre points out. So they were appealing to older traditions. My final point is about beating the the the, the prospects of it happening, um, which is sort of beating the 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 false class consciousness, which is one of those ideas that um, if you take them seriously, it, it seems like it has to be it has to be defeated. Um, and again, I don't see any any aspect of defeating this, um, which is, relates to the nature of man, uh, which is my second part here. Um, man seems to be a dodgy a dodgy creature, uh, so to speak. Now, whether, whether it's bad, whether we're all in change, whether we're born free and are all in change, or it's the other way around, is of some question. Um, but 
you know, as you were talking about before on our Sir Our Children Overrated episode, children themselves are incredibly violent. Um, did they learn that from their parents in the first, you know, six months? You know, uh, who who knows? Uh, who knows? These are sort of, in a way, unanswerable questions. Um, it, uh, but I I I want I want I want to get to the final question here with you. Um, do you think the revolution will happen? Uh, Marx, of course, says it's inevitable. Uh, uh, Marx said not only says it's inevitable, so it's a theological revolution. Uh, someone made the comment that he's so far ahead of the curve, he's behind the curve. I don't think it's going to happen, and and for precisely the reasons they oftentimes state, um, the you know the uh, the the society here of late capitalism impoverished. And I, if I understand correctly, Marx was an accelerationist of some kind, although people will deny that. Um, he thought he'd got to sort of get to the end, and then it would bring about. And that's such a point that's often brought up. That's another strange agreement the far right and far left has. Um, there are sort of acceleration tendencies in both aspects of them to bring about some sort of singularity of some variety. What do you think of the the, the prospects of revolution um, as sort of summary of all the the concepts we've gone through, as well as McIntyre? Swithin? The proletarian revolution will never happen because I'm not aware of any proletarian revolutions ever existing. The revolutionary class has always been the upper middle class. They're the only ones who have time to devote to revolution because the working class are working and can't have time to devise plans to uh, usurp the current uh, paradigm. Now, whether there'll be future revolutions, yes, probably, but not of sort of the classic uh, Marxist type. Now, you could well get um, upper middle class intellectual types who try and foster revolution to impose the new proper type of socialism. I think that's entirely possible. Um, but you are going to get the, um, the pure proletarian revolution, to, which is the end of history. That's simply uh, not going to happen. Um, you are going to get revolutions of sort. I mean, American sort of... America, the American hegemony from the post-Second World War period is probably declining to some extent, although I think its decline may could well be overstated. And, you know, there's typically a film that and you're going to, um, and there's going to be revolutions of sorts. I mean, you could argue that, although somewhat minor, you could claim that the, the Reaganism and Thatcherism of the 80s was like a, a revolution uh, in respect of how uh, governance operated and the relationship between the state and the market. Um, so there would be revolutions of sorts, uh, and, and I think much greater ones than that, and I think it's a relatively minor change. Um, I mean, interesting, uh, Keith Preston posted recently that the in pretty much all parts of America now, a third of the population have uh, secessionist tendencies. That's sort of a revolution of sorts. But as I say, onto strict Marxism, that, 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 uh, the Marxist proletarian revolution people will not happen. I don't mean it's ever have, has happened, and, and no expectation, but it will. Uh, yeah, no expectation as well. And uh, yeah, I want to I want to conclude here. I don't agree with the empirical claims or the sort of factual claims that the West is as bad as they say it is. Um, and this is not even bringing out other side news. You know, interestingly, Turkey has probably got to take a much stronger role um, in, you know, affairs of Lebanon, Syria, and Iran probably going forward. Um, I wonder if, 
you know, if 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 the Americans or they might look longingly back at the Americans British. They might not. They might not Turk they might prefer Turkey Turkish rule or Ottoman rule, whatever you want to say. Um but uh uh the, the I, I, I I'm somewhat of a defender of the West. So I'm not a neocon in that regard. I think for other reasons that we should be out of there. So don't get me don't confuse me for that. I don't think it's the fight that is worth to be had there anyway. Um but again I you know the the claims they make, um, uh, the common claim they'll make, is an argument against their revolution, not an argument for the revolution. Um, if if universities in the United States are founded by a government and run by a government which you say is run by white supremacists, you need to explain to me why that actually can work. <laughs> like that doesn't that doesn't make no that makes no sense. Um, um, and just I don't think it's that bad anyway. And I you think that existing countries outside of it are much more of the, the sort of exact. Uh, all the features you said much worse, uh, you know. Uh, uh, which again, this is an area where the you know the strange bedfellows occur in the far left and the far right agree on everything. They just disagree on minor questions like you know whether you think that these things should be done or not done. Um, um, but in this regard, I remain a strict sort of plumb line libertarian. Um, that's sort of my position. Now again, McIntyre would probably consider that laughable, and he might be right. But my opinion is this is where you have to bring in other works and sort of like the existing society described by the enemies is in some ways, some forms, moderately capitalistic of some variety. There are still firms. Actually, funnily enough, the firms have, you know, co-opted the language of revolution while maintaining a sort of structure of corporate capitalism. Um, um, and it, it's, it's quite, if you look in a Machiavellian terms, it's quite brilliant. Um, I mean, the customers they, they're most afraid of are like the Colin Kaepernicks. They're not afraid of, you know, to use a football analogy, Peyton Manning. They're afraid of Colin Kaepernick. So they're going to, you know, do whatever he says. In the 1960s, they were afraid of, you know, the Christian right in the United States. So they went after other groups. Uh, uh, but the, you know, the basic sort of corporate capitalist structure. Now, I would want to overthrow the statist aspect of it. And whether that's actually possible is some question. Um, um, but interestingly, McIntyre puts Rawls and Nozick, and Nozick could be a stand-in for Rothbard or David Friedman. Um, you know, again, he's the sort of respectable end cap. Um, um, he's sort of, by respectable, I mean, is the normies at least know of his names. Um, although I like Nozick, I've read his book Anarchy and Utopia. I think it's, it's. I've read most of it. I haven't read every word of it. Uh, but uh, I, I, I think it's, it, it could be laughable. Plumb line libertarianism or sort of, uh, you know, but but reforming the social democratic state into some virtuous entity, uh, as Keith Preston would be called, putting the mouse in charge of the cheese. I mean, I, 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 I'll, I'll keep waiting until you get that. I mean, that, that seems like that, that that seems like a long coming. And actually, you talked about secession, Christian, Chris, with an uh, secession might happen. But secession, again, is not anarcho-capitalist revolution. If anything, secession is quite conservative, certain aspects of secession. Um, I mean, because you oftentimes secede. You know, Catalonia wanted to secede. That's kind of like a nationalist revolt against, you know, a broader identity. So you're getting a micro-revolt. And again, the left is very internationalist. So those are my concluding comments. Uh, anything to add, Swithin? Very interesting discussion. Thanks for doing um, no, I, I would agree with, with secession. I mean, secession, you could really claim to a large extent is, is a counter-revolutionary phenomenon uh, and hence is somewhat conservative in certain respects. 
although in the case of Catalonia, um, they do seem to be sort of um, somewhat uh, economic, almost national socialist in certain respects, the, the, the um, secessionists in, in Catalonia, although sprinkled with some cultural leftism as well, so that makes it sort of politically um, um, acceptable amongst the, the, in the current upper circles. Um, just as a point, as a final point I made earlier, which you were saying goes verging towards Nietzscheanism. Basically, any revolutionary position which has a, a deep uh, and sort of pessimistic view of society, the only real um, view that it can take is that they are enlightened, the plebs aren't, uh, we should rule the plebs and the proletariat, and uh, you know things will be better. I mean, that's ultimately... Uh, what it will come down to, unless of course you can you have a position whereby you could somehow just influence society as such, sort of you know, just pull them towards the, the the correct outcome in a in a more sort of gentle manner. But to do that though would be to be less pessimistic than say that as you point out, you know, the Trotskyism would be. So I think really, if you're fully pessimistic about society, you have to be optimistic about yourself. You have to be optimistic about something, otherwise you couldn't change anything. You just have to be you know, uh, pure despair or you know, pure sort of social determinism of some description. So th th that I think would be my uh, concluding remark. I just now like to thank everyone for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends and family. And subscribers on, on Podbean and on YouTube, the more subscribers we get, the higher we get in the search rankings. And if uh, you have uh, any questions or any comments that you want to send to us, please contact us at mindcryinglibertyshow at gmail.com. That's mindcryinglibertyshow at gmail.com.